Preseason game against the Raiders is coming up. What exactly can we expect from that Kevin O'Connell offense? Let's deep dive it here on the Locked On Vikings podcast. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBronNFL. Show is on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. You can find me on Patreon at Patreon.com slash LukeBronNFL. Thank you so much for making Lockdown Vikings your first listen of the day each and every day. And today's episode is going to be another really heavy X's and O's one. Um, I want to follow up on some of the things I talked about last week with Sean Syed about the McVeigh offense and some of the core tenets of it. I, I want to try to get more to the core of it, the, the real concepts of it, um, and try not to get bogged down too much in the X's and O's and what these route concepts are and stuff, but more the ideas behind them. And I think if you understand that, you'll be able to really understand what you're looking at when you're watching that preseason game, because what you'll see in the preseason schematically, A, you're probably not going to see a lot of starters. I would be surprised if Kirk Cousins played or if they had Jefferson or Thielen or Cook play or Hunter or Smith or any of the real big, um, either of the Smiths, you know, any of the real big, especially the older veterans, but, you know, the real important starters. There's no real reason to play them in the first game. If anything, they'll get maybe a little run in the second game, like a drive, and then they'll play maybe the first quarter-ish or the first half of the third game. That'll be it. Um, but what we can see that will actually inform us of something and teams will be doing the same thing, so I say we do it along with them, uh, is what concepts are their base? Because what a team is going to run in the first game, especially as they're trying to evaluate younger players who gets a roster spot and stuff, is the basics. Can you do what you will be most often asked to do? And if you can't, you can't be our backup running back or whatever. That's going to be what I'm really looking at. I I don't know, unless something else happens in camp and somebody really starts to pull ahead from what I've heard about the backup quarterbacks and what I've seen so far, I've kind of seen enough to not really be that intrigued by them anymore. Um, but instead, I'm intrigued by the scheme. We all are. What are the Vikings going to do offensively? How will it be different than what they were last time? Because remember, they were a Kubiak scheme and McVay and Kubiak are scheme cousins, basically. They both come off the Mike Shanahan tree um, and they both make heavy use of rollouts and kind of play action and outside zone. What's the difference? And that is going to be the question that has the most interesting answers. Um, and I guess one of the biggest differences, and I talked about it a little yesterday in my uh, Monday night recap, but what, ha- what what's interesting to me is how outside zone can change a little bit to be mid zone. And all that is, that's not even a play you would call, at least not for McVeigh. I don't know if O'Connell will uh, approach that differently, but I kind of doubt it because it seems like a good way to approach it. Um, Is you call outside zone as the play call, and every play call is named outside zone. But you have a check in the middle of the play, and it's a read the running back can make to turn it into mid zone, which is the exact same play except for one key difference. In outside zone, the tackle will reach block the end the, the defensive end, the, the edge rusher. 
So this would be Christian Derrissaw reach blocking Daniil Hunter, for example, or Zadarius Smith, for example, which means he would have to get all the way out to the outside, flip his hips, turn around. You know what a reach block is. Riley Reef was pretty good at those. He was pretty nimble and he could get out there. Um, and that was what outside zone was. And the Vikings ran, have run a ton of that and they will continue to run a ton of that. Um, mid zone is instead of that you would do, I've seen some people call it like a hinge block. I've seen some people just call it like uh, a stand up block or like a more direct, like a drive block or something. Um, where instead of trying to reach that guy, you just go right at him. And instead of pushing, trying to reach him and push him back inside or seal him off to the inside, you're pushing him and sealing him to the outside. You're pushing him toward the sideline instead of away from it. And that's mid zone. Mid zone goes up the B gap between the tackle and the guard. That's the difference. And the read is kind of both the tackle and the running back will look at what technique the edge rusher is using. If he's firing really fast upfield, like he's this really quick trigger guy, then you kind of just take him where he wants to go. And that is a coaching point that helps a lot of these concepts really sing. We'll get to duo later. And one of the weaknesses of duo is that the tight end will always end up on an edge rusher. And that's a bit a bad mismatch. And so you put a read on that and you say, well, just take him where he wants to go. If he's really crashing inside, take him inside and you can kind of win that block. And the running back can like read the play and figure out how to make something out of that. Um, or if he's go- going really hard outside and really your gap's supposed to be somewhere else, take him to the outside and let the running back, you know, find the space that you've created. Take him where he wants to go. And you kind of get the same thing on um, this tackle edge rusher thing with outside zone. Take him where he wants to go. And then it's on the running back to make that correct read. And so one of the things you want to watch if you want to watch running backs, if you want to watch if Kenny Wongu is going to be a superstar, see if he makes the right read on that. Because he'll get handoffs that are outside or mid zone and just look at the tackle edge matchup and see if Kene Wangu went the right direction or if he went the wrong direction, it'll bring the edge right back into the play and it'll everybody will say, oh man, you know, Christian Derrissaw got beat on that play or Brian O'Neill got beat on that play. But really, if he's making the wrong read, that's on the running back. Now, which way you run outside zone is going to depend a lot on the front. So this is the other thing that I really want to start to talk about is how fronts interact with the offense and how the offense interacts with the fronts that that the defense presents. A lot of this is checked at the line. A lot of this is kind of decided on the fly, if you will. Some of it might not even be checks. It might just be all of the offensive players are expected to say this is this front. Therefore, we're running this play and be expected to execute that properly and or communicate it down. You know, the, the quarterback in the center are responsible for getting their groups in line. Um, but one of the real keys to this will be what front you're going up against. So if you are up against an over front, now over and under fronts are probably, when you think of four down linemen, you're probably picturing one of those two, where you have two edge rushers kind of outside the tackles in a very similar, like a very uh, traditional spot. And then you have a nose tackle in an A gap. That means he's between a center and a guard. And then on the other side of the formation, you have a three technique in a B gap, which is between the guard and the tackle. Which is which is what tells you what over and under fronts are. So if an over front has the three technique on the strong side and an under front has him on the weak side. And visually, those words make sense for me. Are you over the strength of the formation or are you kind of trying to sneak under it? I guess I don't know if that helps people visualize this. Um, but if you are against an over front, 
think about that, visualize that, shoot, pause this and draw it out if you have to. Um, and look at where the weakness is on that defensive line. What gap will be uncovered? One of the A gaps will be uncovered and one of the B gaps will be uncovered, right? Whichever one the nose tackle and three technique aren't in, respectively. And the most space will be in that uncovered B gap. So the B gap opposite the three technique is going to be what a lot of teams, a lot of run schemes, not just McVay style ones, are targeting that gap, that sort of vacancy in space. And outside zone for McVay systems does the same thing. You will run it to the weak side if it's an overfront, because that means that the three technique is on the strong side. So you'll run it to the weak side and you'll run it strong against um, or you kind of you want to right run it strong against under fronts. Ideally, you want to set those things up. Now, how those plays deal with. You know, hey, we've got outside zone week called, and for whatever reason, we're not going to change it, you know, down in distance or whatever, or we're not on the right hash or something like that, um, or the right personnel or something, you know, oh, right tackle's getting killed, we kind of have to run this to the other side. Um, whatever the reason is, you kind of want something, and this is where wide receiver blocking comes in. So one of the things that will often happen is you'll get a lot of reduced splits, which will help get better angles for the wide receivers. This podcast just is not the forum on which I I can like explain exactly what they do. So I guess I just have to point you to like Patreon, which is where I'm planning to do a little bit more like visual film study stuff. So um, go join me on there if you're interested in more details. But if it's satisfying to you, just know we will condense a lot of these things to make sure that the wide receivers have better angles on the guys that they need to block. And you can do things like have a wide receiver try to dig out a linebacker or something or shoot. The Rams even had Cooper Cup digging out edge rushers sometimes and blocking edge rushers. And they'd give him a great advantage on that. You know, you'd usually have him coming at an angle where he just needs to accelerate the guy's momentum or something. And you're not asking him to sit there and kick slide and actually block like Khalil Mack. Um, But they were sometimes will give him that. Um, that responsibility. And if he can execute that responsibility, that means you kind of have an advantage on whatever players are left over. It's like in chess, if you can trade a pawn for a knight, you'll do it every time. Um, That's kind of the logic here where you're trading a wide receiver for an edge rusher. If you can find a way to make the angles work and make that happen, um, you're going to have a really successful time. Now, this is just the run game. And what people really want is a passing game. I know, I know, I know it's what you all want. Um, But you have to understand why I think I mean if you just understand and you're just willing to take me on faith that the run game is going to condense more with the wide receiver splits and there's a great reason to do that and if you're willing to just take me on faith there then I guess go for it but I never want you taking me on faith on this show I want to kind of explain to you why they are doing that and have you kind of judge for yourself whether or not you even believe me whether you want to look at it more yourself um etc etc uh And so the point is angles and it's different on every play, but the point is you don't want somebody to have to come all the way in from like a slot alignment to have to block a nickel corner that has an inside shade on him. Um, You know, a nickel, a lot of times a nickel corner in defenses will line up inside the slot. This is a really common coverage thing with Zimmer style defenses, which are still all, all over the league. The nickel corner, he'll be up on the slot receiver and he'll cheat inside and then he'll do like run support things. Well, that 
slot receiver might be responsible for blocking that nickel corner. And if he's already to the inside of you, he has a head start and you're going to have a really tough time. So if you condense everything, that split is just going to get a little bit narrower and he's just going to cheat in a little less because he doesn't have to. He's already inside. He can be where he is in the run game. And now you have a better angle on him for this particular run play and he might not even be looking at you. That's where Cooper Cup really came in. So you have to have guys that are willing and able to block and the Vikings have that aplenty, I think. that They've actually seem really deep with that, um, which is nice. And those angles will condense things. And then what... How that characterizes the passing game is that you are now trying to maximize the advantages that condensed splits give you in the passing game. And I think this is the part where it gets really interesting and really cool. But first, let me tell you about a good old gramble. You can bet on so much stuff at Bet Online. You can bet on Vikings Raiders preseason, but man, I don't know if I don't know if I'd be doing that one. Uh, I'd I'd bet on week one. You can actually bet on any Vikings game. You can just go like bet on week six if you're really feeling there. Bet on week four if you're really feeling what's going to happen in the London game uh, or week two against the Eagles or whatever. You can bet on all of that stuff. You can bet on WNBA, MLB, tennis, golf, events, MMA, whatever it is that you want at betonline.net. You can even build wacky player parlays with their player prop builders, you know, like this player will get this many rebounds parlayed with that many points whatever and a links win like you can do whatever go to betonline.net and you can bet on all sorts of stuff like that and more bet online where the game starts hey thank you so much for making lockdown vikings your first listen of the day for your second piece of vikings content that you consume check out the the uh, history documentary it's at my patreon patreon.com slash luke braun nfl it's also at zonecoverage.com and you can find episodes one and two live right now. Episode three will come out this weekend, and there will be seven total episodes coming out, one each Saturday for uh, up all the way up until the beginning of the season. Would love it if you checked that out and maybe join me on Patreon if you're feeling it. Also, check out the Minnesota Football Party. It's an ensemble show with me, Arif Hassan, Sam Ekstrom, and Luke Inman doing that twice a week all the way through the season. Really exciting stuff. Anyways, let's keep talking about this offense. So I want to talk about the passing game, but real quick, I want to talk about Duo as well. And Duo has been a very good answer to some of the more flattened out, beefier fronts, like bare fronts and tight fronts and stuff like that. Um, And if you know what those are, basically those are a lot more people on the line of scrimmage and a lot more people in between the tackles. Tight fronts are classified by three people inside the tackles where like an under over front only has the two inside guys or inside the tackles. The edge rushers are outside the tackles. A tight front squeezes it. Um, you might even say they get a little tighter in there. (laughs) And then there's a bare front, which is five people up on the line of scrimmage where you have a tight front plus the two edge rushers um, and uh, on either side of the tackle. So it's like very flattened out and it's very good against zone because it's a lot harder for guys to combo up like we've been used to seeing them here in in Minnesota. Um, Duo is a good answer for that because it's all about vertical push. You say, all right, you want to come in here, be beefy, let's be beefy, and I'm going to push you up up upfield. That also, it's it's like designed to create double teams. So you'll have a tight end blocking an edge rusher. There's your kind of uh, your weak point. We'll talk about how they deal with that later in a second. And then you have um, a double team with a tackle and the guard, a double team with the guard in the center on the two kind of interior guys. And then you have a tackle going in 
um, on an edge rusher 1v1. And if they come out in a bear front where there's an extra guy to block, you break up one of those double teams, that's not a huge deal. You might even be able to combo block it or do some like hinge blocking things or something and um, still kind of get an advantage there. Um, so it kind of is a, a run play that has a little bit less of trying to you know, beat out all of the linebackers and really climb up to everybody and stuff. I mean, the double teams in duo do climb up to the linebackers, but it's a lot more about getting a vertical push and sort of meeting them strength on strength. The problem is that tight end on an edge rusher. So I already talked about part of one of the things you can do there is to just say, all right, tight end, you're going to be on this guy, take him where he wants to go. And it's kind of on the running back to not let that blow up the play. Like, okay, if he's going to crash inside and try to get upfield on you, do that and just take him too far upfield and hope the running back can get out of the way so that he doesn't make the play. Um, it's a difficult assignment. Part of it, too, is if the guy's really struggling, they'll put an extra tight end. They'll do this out of 12 personnel, and now it's two tight ends on the edge rusher. Part of it can be um, the way that they manipulate motion and the way they use, like, RPOs might make the end a read man. Um, and shoot, if you have like a mobile quarterback, you can even literally read that end and say, all right, tight end, just go do something else. I'm just going to leave this guy unblocked and we'll, um, or, you know, leave the other end unblocked and you can sort of reconfigure the double team so that the tight end gets an extra guy, an extra helping hand. All of that is to say duo is a huge staple and you're going to see a ton of it on uh, Sunday against the Raiders and all throughout the season. Probably it was like, I think the second most common play that the, the Rams called last year. Um, it's definitely a staple. And again, the reason is it's a way to get a singular tight end with a condensed split thing to like work. So when you have condensed wide receiver splits, that means they line up closer to the ball, right? They all, everybody squeezes together. How do you take advantage of that? And to talk about that, you have to understand how defenses are handling this. So when you have a stacked receivers, and you, you will know if you saw a picture right now of stacked receivers, you'd know exactly what I meant. Um, stacked receivers is just when you've got two guys that are sort of one behind the other. You've got one on the line of scrimmage and one kind of behind him or maybe behind him and just standing off to the side like a few inches. Um, that's a stack. How you deal with that on defense, a lot of defenses will do what's called a banjo. So that is in inside outside. You take an inside guy, you take an outside guy, or I'll take a deep guy, you take a shallow guy. There are different forms of it, and it depends on the defense. And banjo means like a totally different thing in some defenses. So don't worry about the terminology, but understand you're not trying to play man coverage because the point of that stack is that, you know, the guy who's behind and on the left can run a right breaking route and vice versa. And if you're trying to just play straight man to man, your guys might trip over each other and the route might even be designed to make them trip over each other. So instead you say, all right, I'm just the guy on the left. I will take whoever goes to the left and you take whoever goes to the right. Um, and you can attack that by having both routes break outside because you, you know they're not going to say, I'll take the outer breaking route and you also take the outer breaking route, right? That would be a really silly rule set. So you would do something that would require a silly rule set to uh to to defend and then hopefully you can get leverage and if they do say all right i'll take an outside guy and you also take an outside guy um chances are one of them is lined up on the inside and so now you have an inside leverage on an outbreaking route i don't care if that dude is richard sherman he's dead to rights there's absolutely no sh i mean he would have to be a hall of fame player to make those kinds of plays and most of the time you're going to get separation on those quick outbreaking routes um if the cornerback is lined up by necessity because of the way you lined up. The cornerback had to line up in the wrong place. Um, and you can then 
kind of force them into a place and then take advantage of that place. Now, of course, defenses are going to want to prevent this, and they've got all sorts of tools to try and prevent this. Um, and so responses to that, I, I want to talk a little more about Dagger, which we went into with Sean um, last week. But I want to talk a, a little bit more fundamentally about it instead of getting as bogged down as we got in that conversation about like the X's and O's and what the actual routes are and the route depths and all that stuff. We don't need to worry about any of that yet. I just want you to understand the like the point of them. So that's going to be what's next. So the ultimate point of Dagger is to create a high-low on some underneath defender, a hook-curl defender or something like that, to create a high-low conflict on that guy. Now, to do that, you need what... Um, I, I, most of this is sourced from a book by Bobby, Bobby Peters that has um, that sort of lays all this out, the basics of the McVeigh system, why it works, how it works. And he's done a whole series of these on the uh, 2020 Browns, the 2017 Patriots. I think he actually did the Rams another time. Um, and you know, all the interesting offenses, he's done this a lot. And he's also, I, I think a quarterback's coach at the college level. So, um, he's, he knows his stuff. Very good book, by the way, you can buy it on Amazon, super highly recommend it. And also I don't feel bad talking about any of this cause it's already published in an Amazon book that anyone can buy. Um, but the point, so in, in this, he calls it a through route. I'll call it a clear out route, but the point of it, it can be a go, it can be a, a corner or a post. It can be anything. The point of it needs to be that somebody fast runs deep and somebody's got to go with that guy. And you kind of don't care who it is. It could be a corner. It could be a safety. It could be a linebacker. Um, I don't care who it is. It won't be part of the progression. So Kirk Cousins will never look at this, even if the, the guy gets wide, wide open and the receiver kind of knows that. So all he's doing is just trying to make himself look as dangerous as possible and make sure that a safety has to come with him. And that means that safety won't be available to help with, with what comes next. And then you have just a short thing and a medium thing. Usually that short thing is something that will land around between the hash and the numbers, kind of like not in the middle of the field, not all the way to the side of the field, but somewhere in between that. And at about five-ish yards, it can be a little hook, spot route, it can be choice, um, it can be something called an H post, which I um, talked about a whole bunch of that in, uh, on Twitter. H post is something that I actually saw the Vikings drilling a lot with running backs. So this would be how running backs get involved in the passing game beyond just like screens and swing outs and stuff like that. Um, it can be kind of anything. It can even be a shallow cross coming from the other side of the formation. So you can do this out of like two by two. Uh, and still have three receivers on one side pre presenting a sort of triple layered threat. Um, something just needs to be over there so the ball could possibly go there so that that area is a place the defense has no choice but to pay attention to. And you kind of want that to be eye candy for a linebacker. So whatever defense you're going up against, you want to be the kind of thing that's like, I'm running a route that is your refer first responsibility and then you will wrap a dig or a post or something around it. Usually it's a dig, which like a 10-ish, 15-ish yard in-breaking route. And you want the linebacker to like see a shallow cross coming and say, oh, this is mine. Uh, and now I have this because you want to be able to throw the dig. The dig will always be better than the short thing, right? That'll be like a 10-yard pass versus a 4-yard pass. So what you're running there will be part of the way you game plan. Um... For example, if I were game planning against a Zimmer defense, um, I might want to force like a push call. And a push call is 
when you have somebody fast to the flat, so like a running back that goes out to the flat really fast and or like a jet sweep, like jet motion or something, something that's in the flat and with a lot of momentum and, oh my God, if he catches that ball, he's turning the corner, he's going to get 30 yards. Whenever that happens, um, a linebacker can say, can can call push or a slot corner, whoever's in charge of it can call push. And that means, hey, that's an outside guy's responsibility now. And it was eventually going to be that outside guy's resp- responsibility, but he just kind of pushes himself through the rest of his read and, and just skips right to the last step. That's why I think that's why it's called push. Um, and so what you can do is you can now guarantee that the nickel corner is occupied by that fake jet motion or whatever. We'll call it, call it jet motion. And he kind of goes out to, to the flat and the nickel corner will absolutely go with that. And now that he's gone with that, you can run a dig right where he would have otherwise been. And that should have a nice little window and you should be able to hit it for a nice intermediate gain. The Rams rode that all the way to the Super Bowl and especially a lot in the playoffs. That is the point of dagger. It is not only a high-low concept, but it is also a high-low concept that really encourages you to take the low. And when you're in the coaching room and, and you know, it's, hey, when you're in a high-low, they will usually take tell you to take the high. Hey, if you're choosing between a deep route and a shallow route, cover the deep route. And if he gets a short completion, we'll live with that. But cover the deep route. We don't want that. So you kind of want to give him enough reasons. And, and if you understand the opposing defense's reads enough... Um, and McVeigh does because he's a computer, um, then you can sort of manipulate them and say, all right, we know the linebackers instructed to say, first thing you look at is a spot route. And if, if your first responsibility is a spot route, I'm going to run a spot route so that you're getting your first responsibility. Um, and then hopefully I can get you to at least take a couple steps forward and wrap the dig behind you. And a lot of that, again, comes from condensed splits. We talked about this with flag bow, but this is a very big deal with dagger. This is a big deal with a lot of concepts that are trying to create a high-low stretch. You want those receivers to sort of be on top of each other so that they're starting out in the same guy's zone. And And that guy now has to read two people. That's how you can really start to get this. We are not even close to done with this conversation. I don't know how much of it can happen on this podcast, so go to to Patreon. But I will have as much as I can on this podcast because I want to reach as many people with it as possible. I want people to be able to know what they're looking at beyond the the Madden level of understanding. So that's the goal here. Um, Tomorrow, I'll have camp review. I'll have camp reviews all throughout the rest of this week. We'll be live on YouTube a whole bunch after every practice, so make sure you check out the Locked On Vikings YouTube channel. I will see you all tomorrow, and as always, Skull.